Hello and welcome to the studio. My name is Trish Lynch and today our roundtable entitled Leading, Innovating and Evolving in a Downturn is coming to you from the very impressive brand new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I'd like to welcome you, our virtual audience, joining us from all over the world, from all different time zones. You're very welcome. And I'd like to welcome my expert panel who have come here today. Now, we're going to jump straight into it. Now, do more with less. It's a common rule that we hear for downturn strategies. But how does do more with less? What does that look like in reality for technology leaders? Fergus. Mm. Um, I guess my career has been Airlines and hospitality, the two most damaged career uh, industries during COVID and pre-COVID. Um, and this isn't the first oil um, issue we've had. It's been cyclical over the years. Um, so airlines, if you're lucky, make 2 or 3% return on, on, on investment. Um, hospitality, generally 30, 40, 50% if you're lucky. Um, airlines have always been under pressure and always been very innovative to do more with less. Um, in my day, um, we do things like cross-skilled teams. So we'd have an IT support team, we were also a bit of a developer team, also a bit of an infrastructure team. And in hospitality, the, the front of house person is also maybe working in the kitchen, maybe working in back of house. So you have to kind of be um, versatile with, with your skill set. And people like that. And that's a good career progression for people as well. Um, most recently as well, um, with my current client, um, doing more with vendors. So vendors are more than happy. Vendors have their own innovative pieces that love to get more stuff to market. So they, they're very happy to help certain clients and develop things with them, collaborative working together. And, and lastly, um, tools these days like RPA, robotic process automation, finally allow us to gel together, especially hospitality systems that were almost actively designed to be hostile to each other, never to talk to each other. Finally, you can get them to, to work better together. So that's, again, relatively low cost. Raj? So from my perspective, um, I mean, downturn or not downturn, um, the demand for tech skills would always um, outstrip, you know, what the supply is. And and therefore, at any point in time, we've got to always think about, you know, um, what's the best for the business. So prioritizing work um, based on what the business demands are, are probably the best mantra that I've followed and has been successful. Um, I agree with everything that Fergus has said in terms of using those techniques, kind of overlapping or kind of shadowing uh, or using techniques like RPA. Um, and in addition to that, I think just thinking through what the business priorities are and getting the maximum bang for your buck probably is the most important thing any business can do. And the versatile workforce, that's hugely important as well, isn't it? In, indeed, indeed. Um, and, and often it happens that, you know, the teams are thinly stretched and, and if they are versatile enough to actually be able to do more than one or two jobs, uh, then obviously yeah, it helps the business and helps um, the, the employees as well. Phil, what does doing more with less look like to you? Yeah, well, I guess when, when we're thinking of it from a tech leader perspective, we, we have to think about what's important in terms of investing strategically. So building on what Raj said, so, you know, don't be forced into a position where IT becomes the, the cost center, but actually is the value enabler for the business. And, you know, yes, the, there's always opportunities to, um, I guess, cut the fat, but not the muscle uh, within the IT organization. So that may be a good reminder that you need to think think about the things perhaps to pull back on. And that could be anything from reevaluating projects that may not be delivering, for example, reevaluating some of those early cloud implementations and whether they're sort of becoming the, the legacy or the um, apps of tomorrow and your future tech debt. So reevaluating those. And actually taking an opportunity to look at um, some of the application and infrastructure contracts that you have or any of them bloated and maybe put some 
change the conversation with some of the suppliers, the vendors, the partners around better optimization because they're under pressure too and will want to do more for, um, for you as a, as, a, as a tech organization. Fergus, everything is moving at an incredible <clears throat> rate of knots. Is it a journey of continuous learning? Continuous learning? Yes, I mean, life is a journey of continuous learning. I, I think in our world, because we have to wear so many hats, um, you have to kind of, one day you're, you're quest, questioned about um, security questions, the next day it's about technical infrastructure piece, the next day it's about an application layer. Like none of us are experts in any of these things. So we have to learn quickly. Yeah. And I think, and I was going to say, kind of, I would leverage our network. I think this is a very good forum today, but leverage your professional network. If you need help, especially hospitality, we, we have forums. Uh, we have HOSPA, we've got HF, HFTP. You can reach out to competi- um, colleagues who may be competitors on the side and ask those questions. So I think getting that extra skills in from those and being flexible is, is very important. My next question, Raj, do you have something to I was about to say that I'll probably use the lens of continuous learning to actually be in tune with how the business is progressing. And I think in terms of what's happening in technology needs to completely mirror what the business priorities are, which could be um, expansion, it could be cost reduction, it could be anything. But um, making sure that any digital or tech strategy and any roadmap investment, et cetera, everything that lies behind that is part of that solution um, rather than kind of, you know, working independently on our own roadmaps, which which often, you know, digress from what the overall business strategy is. So I think I'd use the, the phrase of continuous learning in terms of learning about or being aligned to the wider business to make sure that everything that you're doing and investment that you're making in technology is absolutely relevant at all times. So. Uh, and I guess building on that, it's understanding that flow down from the, the business objectives to business outcomes and how that translates into technology's effectiveness. You know, so understanding the, f- the flow of, um, I don't know, objective and key results and how does that sort of translate from the, the business objectives into tangible uh, delivery that can show value in terms of the technology enablers to do that. What kind of support should leaders seek um, now to make sure that their teams can work smarter, but ultimately not harder? I'm, I'm happy to go first. Uh, no. f- uh, from my perspective, um, one of the things that I've seen in traditional businesses is that there is um, there is a misalignment or, or lack of appreciation or understanding of how the technology and the digital team works. And therefore, sometimes what happens is that you know business teams think about a problem and also a solution before they come to the tech and digital teams. Kind of thinking of them as delivery factories. And therefore, you know, upfront involvement of these teams in the problem statement or kind of discussing it with them upfront is very important. That's number one. Um, I'd say second is um, appreciation and, and education of ways of working on how digital and tech teams typically work in the modern ways versus, let's say, how, you know, a construction project would work. Um, and, and the third is... Um, Understanding how things are delivered. Um, again, you know, de- delivering things in phases based on business priorities and, you know, aligned back to revenue goals is very important. So I think it, the support that leaders can get with their peers, you know, in addition to all the delivery and other activity that happens upfront is, is super important because when, you know, the C suite, for example, is fully aligned in terms of. Um, where is the role of digital? Uh, they, they do have a seat on the table. Um, how do they work and why? And that really helps the teams below to actually function in a much smarter way versus kind of always being on the back foot. 
I think that's very much about rethinking how work gets done. You know, so it's it's about setting up those cross-functional themes through those agile deliveries, and uh, you know, coordinating that um, across the organisation. So it's not just sort of a business business problem, business requirement delivery, but actually, you know, really incorporating true agile by having that um, flexible structure across exactly. the organisation with IT is more of a centre of excellence and govern, governance enabler in the middle. I think also it's, it's incumbent on us to kind of work our own networks, look to the market. So our teams are very dynamic and fluid and change as, as, is a biz, as are the business teams. But um, and I'm actively looking now, I'm, help, I'm, I'm tutoring, mentoring some of the uh, university students. They could be the next, you know, CTO, infrastructure engineer in four years' time. Not yet, but they'll have to work their way through. But building that network, bringing those people, um, build, building your own academy, you know, a future, future staff is very important. The other piece, exactly as my colleague said, business acumen um, is, is key. So it's not just a case of you or IT in a box. It has to be a case of you are part of a, a, a bigger whole that actually makes money or delivers service or, or builds experiences. In hospitality, in Cornwall, a hotel I'm working with, they are actually now re-employing um, ex-fishermen to be chefs and to be front of house people and retraining them for that. You know, that's going to be a multi-year career for them. That kind of feeds back into being versatile again, doesn't it? Quite incredible. So are they having good results, the fishermen? Are they turning they out some fantastic food? They know how to cook And I guess from an IT perspective, um, the sort of analogy is bringing um, ex-security people into yep. cybersecurity type roles because they have that mindset and that... Um, they understand the importance of, of uh, you know, cyber, good cybersecurity governance and practice and can uh, adopt their capabilities to the new skills that sets that are needed for, for those roles. And I just kind of um, you know, go back to your comment on versatility. Um, and whilst it's very important, especially in the current scenario, um, it, it's not at the um, at the expense of having specialists because you know in in areas such as cyber, such as data, app development, etc., you actually need you know experienced and and expert professionals to actually drive forward because there's no point having three people who are versatile uh, but not actually knowing how to actually move your project forward. Um, in well, As opposed to that, I'd rather have one person who'd actually um, know exactly what has to be done and can cut through complex um, problems, right? So it's kind of a balance between, you know, how you employ or kind of build your team. Uh, you may have maybe a bit more junior to mid people who are more versatile, but you also have senior people who are experts in the discipline. Yeah, so important to keep that hard core of professionalism and experts on the team at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the next question, you touched on it, um, mm. Fergus. Um, sometimes innovation mm. actually thrives in a downturn. Are there any tools, tricks, <clears throat> and you mentioned this earlier, any tools, tricks, or things that we should be putting in place now, that tech leaders should be putting in place to encourage inventiveness, but on a lower budget? Now, you talked about the training, mm. the university. Yeah, I might be hung by my IT colleagues, but um, I'm a big big supporter of, of um, shadow IT. I wouldn't call it shadow IT, I call it IT light, which is kind of a lighter, lighter weight group that get things done faster in controlled ways and under under governance. And in, in British Airways, I had an IT light team, in version of Atlantic, we had an IT light team. And they would knock up, you know, 300 projects a year. They'd all be like five-day, three-day projects using whatever mashup of tools they could do. But that was very low cost. But to the business side of things, they could prove or disprove a business case quite quickly. And if the business case didn't work, there was no point ramping up a big project team to then spend time on that. So I think 
shadow IT is the wrong word. That means you're, you're hidden, but um, it's kind of a very effective IT light team. You can dip in, dip out, and keep within their own little bubble. Well, yeah, I think you're right. Shadow IT is the wrong word. But if we look at what some organizations are doing, and I know Shell, for example, so they recognized that there was actually some shadow IT that was going on in the background, uh, and that, that tended to be on low-code, no-code type platforms. And they actually saw that as an opportunity rather than a threat. So rather than sort of prevent that from happening, so well, actually, let's skill up the business users around the technology because we do want to skill uh, business users on technology, but let's put the central governance in place, the central training in place, so that we have that sort of coordination, I won't say control, but that coordination. So we set what the design promises are, we set what the skills levels that they need, we set we that they set what's um you know, how they integrate, how they need to think about integration to other applications, uh, and to put that framework in place with the, so skilling up the business units to develop these uh, solutions on local platforms, and actually that's been quite successful. Um, so it is, you know, it, it's applicable irrespective of whether it's a downturn or not, mm -hmm. but it's particularly useful in a downturn because actually you're focused on what's really core and most important to the business in terms of the work that needs to be done, and uh, therefore, you know, you're not sort of distracted by um, you know, non-critical business. So it's empowering from that perspective. Yeah. My, my thinking is actually completely opposite <coughs> of, of, of both of yours. Um, I, I, I don't believe in, in putting structure um, to achieve innovation uh, because I think um, innovation by nature is, is creative. And, and the more governance and structure that you have, um, it kind of is counterintuitive to me. One second is innovation shouldn't be, uh, you know, the the job of a set, you know, people within the organization. It, it's kind of for everyone. So to me, innovation is kind of more of a mindset thing, and being able to actually respond to a business challenge or an opportunity, and through that you actually learn something and kind of go ahead uh, and do things which sometimes fail, sometimes don't. So for instance, um, when when COVID hit. Um, uh, a lot of our clubs were fully closed um, and we wanted to give some value back to our members through digital means. Um, and we tried a few things. You know, one of the things we tried was, you know, live streaming of content, uh, which, you know, wasn't very successful, but we learned through that and we kind of took that and developed something else, which is a much bigger product now and is successful. And the other one that we looked at was, you know, there was a government mandate in terms of registering everyone who's coming into the physical premise. Um, and whilst it was an immediate response, which we had to respond to within days, um, by the government, uh, that kind of work, but we kind of took that product and made that into a, a an amazing acquisition channel for us, which is the most most well effective acquisition that we have across all our channels globally. So, so something which actually started as a reaction or response to a business challenge or an opportunity became an innovative product for us and is actually helping us drive the business forward. So, so my thinking of this is a bit different in terms of how to approach it. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't citing the implementation as innovation, but the idea of allowing it to happen as innovation, of course, agree with everything that you say about innovation. And we've sort, certainly seen from the pandemic that those organizations that encouraged yeah. and allowed innovation to flourish during, you know, during the pandemic t tended to come out better. You know, and that's all about you know um, flowing down decision making to the to the point of need and not getting go governance or bureaucracy, if you want to call it, uh, in the way. So so agree. So I think we're agreeing. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, in terms of, you, I think there's a point there really in terms of what's the innovation out there is like. There's an opportunity to re rethink your operating models. 
Um, and as an IT leader or any leaders, focus on well, actually, what can I automate? What what should I stop doing? Mm. Where where do I need to you know better align in, in terms of the work that aligns with the, the business needs and have a good um, uh, understanding of what that is? Because if you're under pressure in a downturn, you need to make sure that the mo- the work that you're doing is the most valuable, as we talked about mm. for the organisation. Yeah. Can I just uh, the other thing I would say is. Um, and to some degree, maybe just my world of hospitality, but um, the, the big schools, Lausanne, um, Guillaume, um, Galway, Shannon, they're not just pumping, just pumping out good GM, general managers and chefs, etc. They're also pumping out some very good innovators. And um, they're going through their career, their two or three year cycle. Then they're coming out saying, I don't want to join a hotel company. I want to run my own thing that delivers to hotel companies. So there's a couple that I've met that do little, did little COVID sniffing, air sniffing devices with flash red, etc. Stick it in the corner and a plug or something that would detect if a, if a room had been house cleaned or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but not nothing to do with the big corporate projects and systems that we all use, just plug it into a power socket. The stuff that works. Connected to the Wi-Fi, yeah. exactly. And, you know, they may make their their career, they may not, they may move out, but it's a very good way to tap into kind of IT light innovation outsourced to some degree, mm-hmm. you can pick and choose, and you can balance them against your big corporate vendors, and, you know, they can still be more effective. Quite ingenious, really. And Raj talked about the live streaming and how that didn't work, so they moved on to something else. Does anyone have any examples that they can share with us of things that they tried that didn't really work, but then, it, you know, catapulted them onto something that did work? Um, in, in Again, back in the hospitality world, um, because the big legacy guys are now being kind of sidelined, it's it's all a game of open APIs. So you don't have to have a bit of everything that talks to everything uh, and all in one solution anymore. You can just be very good, best of breed, bespoke with a very good open API, mm-hmm. and the vendor, the, the brands will come talking to you. So that's one way to kind of um, speed that that piece up. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in in um, the world of property management systems. They've suddenly gone from legacy to very blue sky concepts. And those guys are the ones that are right now not buying up companies and adding to their platform, the building platform. Mm-hmm. I think well, an example I can think of now is, is uh, and it goes back during the pandemic, uh, is, is Verizon, I believe it was, when they had to, you know, the, the whole sort of contact center workforce had to uh, work remotely. And at first they were, they said, oh, we need to put the rules in place in terms of telling them what to do, uh, how to do it and how to respond to customers. But they found that that actually inhibited customer services service and actually slowed the, the response enough down. So they they changed tact wholly and said, well, actually let's empower the, the, the person at the, to make the decision at the point of contact. Um, because they trust, put you know, it's, it's, a lot of this was down to trust because they sort of shifted that customer service significantly improves, implies satisfaction, improved because they felt that they were empowered to, to, to do the right thing for their customers. And then they were able to identify opportunities um, in terms of how they could better automate that new way of, of working uh, by, you know, accelerating decision making at the point of need and, you know, Using the right sort of using chatbot type net technology to empower the agent rather than to um, take take the work away from the agent and, and try and force it on the customer. So that's, mm. that's, that's another example. I give you another example. Um, so a few years ago, this was um, um, whilst I was at Accenture and and helping out one of the largest um, telecom companies in in Australia. 
Um, and, and the brief was to actually look at the supply chain. And whilst I was doing that and having a conversation with the, the director over there, um, the conversation was about, whilst this is good, the actual problem that we have is that our warehouses are swelling up with, with a lot of secondhand gear. Um, so we kind of deep dived into it and tried to understand. Essentially what was happening was that as technology was changing, a lot of network equipment, which actually generally lasts for more than 20 years, was getting obsolete and getting back into the warehouse. And this was something new to them, going from 3G to 4G to 5G. And there were like four warehouses in Sydney. They were kind of full of this equipment, costing them millions of dollars of just warehouse costs through a third-party provider. And they didn't really know what to do because this was just a new problem. So my immediate reaction to that conversation was, if you have something that works and you don't need, what do you do? You sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were taken aback. How would we ever sell something like this, contractual, legal, all of this? Who would buy this? Where would we, how would we actually start? So we did this assignment for them. Uh, it was the first for us as well within Accenture, um, which essentially m- uh, meant that we understood everything that we had. And we looked at the gray market for secondhand network equipment. And we onsold that to a lot of um, providers. And a lot of people intuitively think this must have gone to Africa and India. Actually, majority of that was actually sold in Europe because there are a lot of networks over here which are coming to the end of life. And instead of buying something completely new, which is expensive and would last 20 years, they would buy equipment like that, which would only last five years, but at a fraction of the cost. That to them was innovative mm-hmm. because you know, using that process, they were able to get rid of all the equipment, get money out of that, and also save on warehousing costs. So, so we might see more of that if there is a more of a downturn then perhaps. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yeah. One other example, just you both reminded me of, is back in my British, uh, Virgin, Virgin Atlantic days, when that uh, volcano in Iceland, beginning with E, with 27 constants, blew its top, um, the IT light team, I think within a day and a half, created a, back then it was an SMS bot and a Twitter bot that basically just replied with what the information was about that flight. And that was born out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, that service has only just closed down literally last week and replaced with something better because it was good enough even then. And it was, it's a flight arrival departure information service. Tweet bot and an SMS bot, but that was born literally in 36 hours. And of course, that's exactly what we're talking about today, isn't it? You know, innovation born out mm. of necessity. Looking ahead to next year, 2023, how do you think that will shape your strategies going forward, Phil? Well, I mean, from speaking to a number of uh, technology leaders, that they're sort of quietly optimistic despite everything. Um, So, you know, in terms of budgets, they're seeing a slight increase in budgets. Uh, They're seeing certainly increase in focusing on uh, talent acquisition and and, and skills skills development. So we're seeing that. And there's still a need to invest in key technologies because, you know, the need to innovate and to to stay ahead doesn't go away. Uh, So we're seeing, um, you know, again, increased adoption of the right cloud practices, uh, and, and investments, but we're also seeing the shift to value-driven practices. So the point I made earlier is is make, making sure that we, the technology function has an alignment to the to, to business outcomes, and there's that flow down of uh, technology being effective to uh, deliver value for the business. Um, there's also see, seeing a shift into uh, stronger strategic portfolio management practices. You know, so better collaboration between the technology function and the, and the business, and sort of thinking a product-driven approach to, 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 to delivery. So that's coming to the fore as well. And, you know, things don't go away. Like, you still need to invest in what's most important for your customers and investing in uh, the technology that's going to have the most impact on their customer touch points. What about you, Fergus? 
again, helping a couple of clients at the moment in hospitality, and we're, we're actively, we're going to RFP at the moment, but we're actively not choosing the big legacy vendors. Um, we're choosing the smaller, brighter, faster moving people. We think they better fit the, the, the mantra of the brand as well. Um, but I think that hopefully there'll be a few others out there doing the same thing. That might be a sea change in terms of pushing out the old guard and bringing in the new. Raj? From my perspective, and actually I'm in the midst of uh, doing a lot of this planning for next year now. Um, I think the, the most important thing to recognize is that um, businesses need more of digital and tech and data and cyber next year, right? more than this year. But they are more conscious about the money. And therefore, for uh, C-suite executives, um, the, the biggest bit is about responsibility, to make sure that how, how you balance the two, right? kind of deliver as much as possible based on value, as you mentioned, uh, but at the same time, not cost, cost um, the company a fortune. So al alignment on what, what is actually needed by the business in the next 12 months. So really thinking about what the revenue is, what the profit is, uh, what the cost structure is, um, where is the business going in terms of growth, um, acquisitions, et cetera. Um, how is it expanding uh, within the business in terms of different business lines? Which parts of the, of the business are making money and therefore not? So those kind of dynamics are really important to understand because unless you have a grip on that, it's really difficult to actually think about where you'd invest versus not. And once you understand that, then everything else kind of you know falls in place around that, which is about you know what is your digital strategy? What is the operating model that you use within the organization? What is the organization structure that you want to use? And how does that interact with the wider business? Uh, what are the skills and seniority you need? How much do you want to invest in where? How much do you want to keep in-house versus outsource? How much should be nearshore versus offshore? All of these strategic decisions are essentially to me, hinged back off you know, where the business wants to go and how digital fits into that overall solution. So I guess, I mean, to recap, my current thinking is um, if my business needs to be at position X at the end of next year, and that's the traje trajectory for the next three years, um, how do I ensure that I kind of fit my budget in such a way that that provides the maximum value for the business? Do you have anything else to add? Just uh, I agree with that. <laughs> Fergus? Um, exactly to that point, I think in, in my days in various hospitality companies, I was allowed to see the revenue and the sales figures. Um, and when you realize that certain sales channels are actually incredibly expensive and it's far better to invest in your own in-house digital, you know, that's a message back to the CEO. Um, also, sometimes the people who shout loudest in terms of business people who want the most support are actually not making the most um, return on investment. Maybe the revenue looks good, but actually once the costs are taken into account, the, the return on investment is actually quite poor. So a small, quiet restaurant can actually be doing far better than a noisy hotel business. So you have to follow the, follow the numbers, follow the data. I'm going to wrap it up by putting you on the spot now by asking you, what would you say is the biggest learning over the past few years? Because we know the world has changed immeasurably. Phil? I think uh, fast decision making is um, closely aligned to what the new business truly needs at the point of need, gets the innovation and the results um, from technology um, that, that deliver value to the organisation. Um, I'd say flexibility and managing ambiguity are life skills. You know, learn them, work them. From my perspective, that that two things, and they are contrary to each other. One is continue to be strategic, i.e. take a step back to make sure you you know where you're heading. Uh, but at the same time, on the flip side, be responsive because things are changing fast. And if you're not responsive, you know your business might just suffer. 
Gentlemen, it's been a very big topic and you've covered it beautifully. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you for joining us at home. We hope that we've answered some of your questions. You may well be navigating this yourself. So from Phil, Raj and Fergus, thank you for joining us today. Thank you.